This episode of Eye to Eye is brought to you by Janique Locks. If you're looking to get started, there's no better place. She specializes in all kinds. Dreadlocks, micro locks, sister locks, lock extensions, instant locks, interlocking, and more. If you're in the 757, please don't hesitate to contact her. You can find her on Instagram at Janique Locks. That's G-E-N-I-Q-U-E-L-O-C-S, Janique Locks. Or you can find her at her website, JaniqueLocks.com. Janique Locks, where locks are envied. All right, let's go ahead and start this podcast, man. decided I'm just going to leave it at three welcomes. Mm. Um, Dev, I think okay. that's what I'm going to do also because too many more and it would probably sound stupid like you've been trying to tell me, but I just don't care. It would probably sound stupid? Okay, it would sound <laughs> stupid. Pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, that's how that works. Anyway, yeah, what's going on, people? Welcome once again to the latest episode of Eye to Eye, short for Inspired to Inspire. The podcast is all about being open, honest, and real, having conversations about life and faith. And you know the tagline, we are willing to boldly go. I'm trying to get down to like James Earl Jones status with that. I ain't, I ain't done it yet, but y'all keep praying for the man. Uh, boldly go, most folks ain't trying to. And of course, uh, my name is Jordan. My name is Devin. And we are glad to have you guys rocking with us on this experience. And today, finally... 865 years later. Glory to God. Yeah, see, you can hear a laugh. <laughs> the Methuselah <laughs> episode. <laughs> Chill out, man. Yeah, we are uh, glad to finally have teammate, uh, partner in crime, little sissy all around, a uh, great woman of God. And um, I will say this once and only once, uh, somebody who sufficiently whooped my basketball team's natural tail. I mean, what can uh, I say? <laughs> okay, yeah, you don't have to say anything. So just, <laughs> <laughs> that's how about that. Uh, yeah, but uh, Justice uh, Mighty Mouse Swango is uh, is joining us, and she's already on the team anyway. But she's gonna come in from time to time, and she's gonna share from a womanly, godly, uh, otherly, perspectively perspective. I think I made that sound about right. Um, <laughs> if I didn't, just go with it. It's very specific and also vague. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. That's definitely what I was trying to do. Just, how you doing, homie? Good. Thanks for having me. Super yeah. excited. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really excited to have you on. Um, I just, just, just so everybody can can know uh, real quick, how, how tall are you again, Justice? All right. We don't have to bring this up as topic. Well, you know, I'm trying to make I'm trying to make you look good real quick. But you know what? I'm five one and don't doubt me. One. <laughs> don't doubt me for oh my, my size, goodness. Okay? I've done Yo, really big things. I'm really trying not my to. Size. 
Oh my gosh. I, I, need, I need you to understand. No, that's what I'm trying to say. Cause it was funny. I was having that conversation. I think I was having it with Michonne uh, a couple of nights ago. And she's like, well, just as well, like five, four. I was like, hey, I don't know. Hey, basketball <laughs> days, they listen to me as five, five. So, you know. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, that's, that's just how that works. In basketball, I was like six, 10. I ain't never seen they six kids in my entire life. Yeah, I know. I was like, I'd, I'd be looking at dudes that they will classify as like six eleven. I was like, yo, he's shorter than me. What is happening? <laughs> I thought this was America, and yeah. Listen, you know, as, as someone who's six two, I'm not as tall as Jordan, but I'm taller than the average. And you know, people always want to be taller, and there is something to be said for people who are shorter. For instance, you can buy grade school sneakers, and those are like sixty dollars cheaper. That is very oh, yeah. true. So. That is very- I'm very blessed. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I literally wear a size four and a half. Oh my <laughs> you're like, 100 bucks. <laughs> your, your nickname on the court should be Geisha or something with those tiny little bound feet. Wow. Four and a half. Yeah. Oh my That's gosh. Awesome. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, so no. let me ask you, at, at that size, at that height, are you as salty as Chris Paul? That little salty freak? <laughs> Um, I will plead the best. <laughs> okay. Because it sounds like you might not be overrated like he is. So that's good. She can't She can't be because she's actually a champion. And, and oh. I am. I mean, it, it I'm not be. a champion. I'm a two-time. Yeah. G- Jordan, how do you do Chris Paul like that? How do I do Chris Paul like that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the man. <laughs> I've been, I, for context, I've been ragging on Chris Paul all day. And uh, Jordan, yeah. <laughs> Jordan just <laughs> finally jumped in. I'm just saying, well, you know, look, I, I was trying to tell you, I think that the man would actually make a great coach. That, that's all I was trying to say. Yeah, I have I a theory on that. I don't think great players can ever make a great coach because great players are so good at what they do. They, they don't have the ability to teach someone what it is that they do. Like when Barry Bonds was the hitting coach of the, the Marlins, they're like, all right, Barry, what are you? he's like, well, just hit the ball the way I did. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> like you have to be a terrible player to be a good coach, you know, because then you're like, man, look, I had to learn every little detail in order to, to maximize what it is that I could do. It might be some truth to that. Yeah. Now, at the same time, though, I have a funny feeling if John Stockton ever decided to pick up the whistle and go, this team is going to be <laughs> a dynamite. Yeah, and awesome. in- instead you have, uh, you know, Jerry Sloan and the Van Gundy brothers. <laughs> right. So, you know. Well, at the, and at the same time, it was, it was funny because I know you said something about Phil. People don't realize Phil Jackson was was a bit of a beast in his time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, he just looked really, really awkward with those shoulders. Yes. But, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to talk about the ma- whatever. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, the fact that he was able to do what he was, I almost feel like it was a fluke. Almost. Almost. I'm not going to sit up here because, yeah, that that's new mail coming. Um, but, you know, with everything he was able to do with the triangle offense, knowing that he picked that up from somebody else and then just having everybody do yoga as we've been watching the last dance, which I know we'll talk about. We'll talk about that later. But I'm just like, it feels like he just put two things together and all them elements just just were in concert with each yeah. other. I still, I still hold it. What? He's got to be one of just the greatest like managers of personality of all time. Like yeah, that's true. Like to manage all those egos and to do it across multiple teams and and multiple years and multiple types of players to actually manage these guys and get them to come together 
uh, it's it's pretty remarkable. You know, a lot of people say that our you know Red Arbach is the greatest coach of all time, or or uh, John Wooden. Okay, that's great, but I mean, when you really look at how much the the deck was stacked against everybody else during those times, like the Celtics could just keep everyone they had. Uh, Wooden was was keeping all his players for f- four seasons. Uh, you know, the fact that Phil Jackson had to navigate all those different things and all those personalities, especially during player empowerment and free agency, that's way harder to do. And so I think he's the greatest coach, but that's just me. I mean, that's cool. And until CP3 eclipses him. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm just kidding. I'm I'm really just kidding. I guess that's a bet we can make that you'll never have to pay off because until he dies, like, he could still get to 13 championships. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so this is apparently a foretaste of something that I know we're going to do because we're going to talk about The Last Dance, but this is not that episode. No. <laughs> oh, my God. I wish it was. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be talking about the things we'd be talking about because it shouldn't be things that we have to talk about. But unfortunately, uh, thank you very much, humanity, for for doing it again. Appreciate you, homie. Appreciate you. Uh, so, yeah, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, everything involving um, Ahmad Arbery. I'm sure by now most everybody has has kind of heard that. I wanted to take a week and just kind of sit on it and see how everything unfolded, see what other perspectives were gathered. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I wanted to see how people responded and just whether or not it was going to be a whole bunch of nonsense or people were actually going to sit down and really investigate, listen, uh, not just check out the facts, but also listen to the hearts of people. Cause you know, this is a bottom line conversation. I was talking to Devin earlier this week and uh, we were in agreement cause we were talking about, I, I can't remember who else we were talking about just too many people. Um, but we were just talking about Ahmad and I was like, yeah, we can definitely do that. But as long as you have the understanding that um, Ahmad right now is just a, a, a name to place in a, in a fill in the blank category. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is not the first time that we've had this conversation. And unfortunately, I know for a fact, it's probably not going to be the last one. As a matter of fact, I think today they were talking about some, I didn't even get a chance. I just didn't even want to look at it. Uh, But apparently some young lady uh, ended up uh, being killed inside her home. So we'll read that. We'll talk about that later too. But yeah, I just uh, wanted to go ahead and unpack this um, and just kind of get y'all's insight, of course, and, and just looking forward to hopefully having some people listen to this and recognize uh, exactly how serious this is, because this is this is something that is legitimately a biblical proportion as far as I'm concerned. I um, mean, when you say biblical, some people want to say that's not, that it's social activism, uh, but Jesus was pretty much a social activist. You can take a look at the life that he lived. Uh, so Yes, he was. Unfortunately, let's get this party started. Uh, so February 23rd, uh, a young man, jogging in his neighborhood uh, ends up encountering and, and, and experiencing um, uh, racial or ethnic hate. And what we witness after that is absolutely nothing. I'm just trying to set the scene um, until last week when we encounter a video. Um, and this video is actually, we learned, uh, done by somebody who was with the two individuals. This was not candidate video, like good old fashioned Rodney King stuff. Uh, but uh, it was done. I don't know if it was supposed to be proof text for them or whatever the case may be. Uh, 
and it depicts what we now know was these two individuals um, apparently trailing him initially and then getting in front of him. Um, and as he is trying to move around them, taking their um, weaponry, I don't know what they had again. I, I, I don't care about the details. The bottom line is they both have guns of some sort. Um, and because he wanted to fight for his life and fend for himself, a struggle ensues. Uh, he ends up being shot anyway as he's trying to run away and then he falls. And, and the unfortunate part about it is it takes a video for us to be able to know that this happened the way that it happened in order to engage in this conversation this way. Um, and I say it that way because as a, as a black man, and, um, I've heard this from a lot of different individuals. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of sick and tired of seeing our people being the only people on TV or in somebody's news source or in somebody's video being shot. You don't see many, if any, other races being shot, um, and it making national news or being seen or shown on national television. Um, it's almost like it's part of the propaganda. We we have to have a Black person being shot. It must be recorded and we must be able to see it um, to the point that I I did not want to see it myself. But every now and again, you just have to see it to remind yourself uh, that we as a nation got a long way to go. Um, and, you know, for what it's worth, I'm glad that people started taking it down. Um, but, you know, I guess the question should be asked. Uh, we we want to ask a variety of questions, um, but why does it take that much for us to finally have to be spurred into action? Why does it take that much specifically concerning uh, people of color uh, for for this kind of action to be happening? Because I thought it was awesome, and I thought it was amazing to see uh, the outburst and the outpouring from individuals of all races and ethnicities. Uh, you know, it was it was, a, it was really really good. It, it it did my heart good to see that. Um, but does it really take that much? And if so, why does it take that much? So I'm just gonna throw this in the atmosphere. Uh, anybody want to catch it? You know, a five one swango. If you want to try and catch it, you can. You know. Um, but yeah, what y'all got, man? Because yeah, legit, I could I could probably talk about this the entire time and just apologize to y'all in the end. And I know that's not how this is supposed to work. <laughs> So I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for me, it's just, I'm still just trying to wrap my head around everything that's happened and, you know, everything that's going on with it. But I don't know. I don't even know if I know the answer to that question. Like, I don't think it should take all of this and people saying, you know, this isn't right and posting on social media for there to be justice. Um, you know, like it, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I just know that, like you said, it's been awesome to see people from all different backgrounds coming out and saying, Hey, this is not right. Justice needs to be served for this. Um, but it it shouldn't take all of that period. It should not take all of that to, to see that through. And so I don't know. It's just crazy. Yeah, the point you bring up about it being on video, that's the one thing that I kind of <laughs> I kind of struggle with because I feel like 
integrity is something that's slipping away, regardless of if you're a Christian or not. But integrity is not something that that only religious people or people of faith hold on to. It's a it's a humanity uh, ethical thing. It's something that that all of us humans should have. And you often hear that compared to integrity being what you do when people are not looking. And what's interesting about that when you compare that with something being on video, suddenly people are looking. They get to see what's going on. And I I thought about that with this because, you know, I, I hear about the video and I was hesitant to click it too just because I get affected by those things and it wasn't really something I wanted to confront. But after a day, I'm like, I need to see what's going on because I need to be informed about what's happening and I need to reach out to those that I know have been impacted by what's going on because I have people in my life that I know are going to hurt from this more than, than I might and it's important to be there for them. But thinking about just it, it being on video and then you watch and you're like, well, this took place, you know, two months ago. And, and you're kind of going, well, how did this just get released? You know, how did this, I mean, authorities are pretty good about getting these things. And, and you think to yourself, well, they probably saw it. And if they saw it the way everybody else did, I mean, I know people can interpret things differently. My understanding is that the motivation behind releasing it was the, uh, the attorney for the two men who, who shot Ahmad thinking that this would clear them. So clearly people can look at things differently. Um, (laughs) He certainly did because the rest of the world, almost a hundred percent. I mean, I saw very few people now, granted it's a dangerous position to take, but trolls love to take that position. And you didn't even really see that. Like (laughs) it was pretty overwhelming that people agreed with basically the narrative and, and what they were reading and what they were seeing, that this is what happened. Um, but just thinking about that, and then I, I thought back to like the Ray Rice situation mm. because the NFL had the tape of him uh, hitting his, I think, then fiance uh, in the elevator, yep. and they chose to suspend him for two games. And then when that video got leaked a couple, I think it was a couple months later, yeah. the the outrage was so overwhelming that Ray Rice never played again. Um that's an integrity issue by authoritative figures. The NFL held authority and they saw what we didn't and they chose uh, not to act in a moment where they had the opportunity to do so based on integrity because they had something that was in the dark that they chose not to bring to light. In this situation, this is something that the authorities had. They witnessed it. They had to have reacted very similar to the way that we did especially in the sense that the authorities were not watching some of their own brothers in blue doing this. I think in the past, it could be harder, right? Because if you're, a lot of these shootings, unfortunately, uh, involve law enforcement. And if you're law enforcement and you're watching that, I could understand almost a pull to go into it already with, <laughs> with some apprehension and with some you know, one-sided thought. But in this case, it was, they were all citizens. You know, they were all out in public. It wasn't, you weren't really taking sides. And yet they still chose to sit on something that was pretty obvious to the masses was an injustice and was 
uh, an unwarranted attack uh, and basically a murder. And they chose not to act on it until we got to see it. So that's, again, some authoritative figures choosing not to do the integrous route simply because they're able to keep the truth in the dark. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I was thinking about that because I think that goes in two different directions, potentially. Uh, I definitely believe in what you're saying. Um, I, I feel like, you know, Ephesians 5.8 tells us, you know, that which is in the darkness shall be revealed in the light. Uh, no doubt that we live in times where that has become very, very obvious. Um, and I feel like God is always going to prove himself to be the just God that he is um, in just about any and every situation. Uh, but at the same time, I would, I'd be remiss if I didn't think that, you know, I think we were having a conversation with uh, the, the interview will come out sometime in, in the next 300 years, I'm sure. But we did a conversation with Brandon J. O'Brien last week. And in it, you know, it was funny because we were talking about just the difference that people have from different places, specifically like rural and urban or, but how sometimes those differences really aren't differences. They're just a different dialect. However, um, the, the, the differences, they cast such a shroud and make us feel like when we're inside of these echo chambers, what we're doing is actually hundred percent right. Um, you know, it, it really is making me have to think long and hard on whether or not, um, not all, but a lot of law enforcement in certain situations sometimes think that the protection of their brethren is greater than the actual justice that is needed in certain circumstances. Um, maybe not even a race issue, but of course, we got to tie it down to that. Um, I don't know every single story that can be told on situations like this where a retired police officer gets into something with somebody, you know what I'm saying? Like I start thinking about stuff like that. I'm like, well, are they just, are they just good? They're just covered for life. Is is, is that what I'm to understand? You know, even if they, you know, what if I'm, I, I like, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to go even deeper than that. You know, sometimes you can watch like the, the TV shows, um, like one of those TV shows, NYPD blue from way, way back in the day. Or like I think there was a cold blue or something, um, blue bloods. I'm sorry on uh, on CBS, and you know it just kind of depicts the life of the officer and how they got real stuff that happens too, and how sometimes that stuff that they do gets it gets covered. You know what I'm saying? Like you know they 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 cheat or beat on their wife. You know what I'm saying? Or and again, I'm not saying this is every officer. I know some amazing and awesome officers. I really do appreciate uh, their ability to serve and protect. Uh, but let's be honest, like. There is a culture out there that has produced a school of thought or a thought process that something like this that has happened, uh, that this is okay. Um, and the reason why they thought it was okay was just like you were saying, they had a legal expert that they hired to take care of them just in case. They said, hey, uh, if we release this, surely everybody's going to understand. And then they found out very quickly that they were severely mistaken. Like, I don't know what to make of that because that tells me that we got so much further to go and I think that it it, it it lies in different things and it lies in in different conversations that haven't been had yet but I don't know I just I, I, I'm, I'm out of sorts with that <clears throat> because then this goes beyond race it definitely has everything to do with race um, but the the structure the system that's in place is just one where somebody feels that they are 
above the badge, as, as many people have said before. Um, and in some cases, uh, they feel like they can be judge, jury, and executioner. Last time I checked, there's only one being that can do that. Their name is God. And they're sending Jesus to do that sometime in the future. And that's just, that's just where I stand. I don't know. It's a lot. It is a lot. I was just going to like add to your point of, because I had um, heard the same thing about, you know, the video being released actually supposed to be, you know, like to show like what they did was right against Ahmad. And like that was, it ended up being the complete opposite of what they were trying to achieve. And so for me, like, when I saw that and saw that they got arrested because of that video, for me, I was like, okay, see, there is God working something good. And that like, obviously the situation is not good. You know, like this is a horrible situation. Like um, none of us would want that to happen. But for me, it was just kind of telling like, okay, God, like there you are. Um, you know, his word says that he works all things together for good. Um, and so I felt like that was just a glimpse of that. Um, with just like the outpouring of people and the response that it was actually like for Ahmad and not for the people who that they were actually trying to, you know, do it for. So I don't know. It's just, it's all about how you view it too and it it is again like something that you it's you can't even wrap your head around it I know for me like you know I have an African-American mom and a white dad and so for me when things like this happen I didn't I wasn't raised in a household where I felt that division because I have both sides I have an African-American side of my family and I have a white side and so um, you know, race was, it has never been an issue because my parents have taught me to love people because they are people, you know, not because of the color of their skin. Um, and so for me, especially as I continue to, to grow up, I'm like, okay, what part can I play in helping? Because, you know, I do have a unique perspective and, and that. And so it's really just opened my eyes to like to figure out like what role can I play of having the advantage of having a family that's African-American, but also having um, family that's white. So I get both, both sides of both sides of it. And I don't know, that's, that's the struggle for me is like, okay, what can I do because of my unique perspective? Like, what can I do to help? Um, yeah. So that's kind of just like what I've been thinking about. I, I think the most important thing is to share the perspective. Yeah. And I think that's why when Jordan and I were talking, you know, it's time to time to do this. And, you know, we, we were all texting together and, and you were like, well, I'll come on too. Because multiple perspectives is, is going to be powerful because we can each speak to somebody who's listening and try to find a connection with them. You know, Jordan saw the release of the video as still needing to come a long way because somebody who is an attorney who should know better didn't even see the injustice happening. He saw, he, he saw a way to uh, get his clients off, even though nobody else saw it that way. 
And I didn't, that's a perspective that I didn't see. Uh, I'm looking at it going, I mean, how, how dumb are these people to think that that was going to do it? And then how corrupt are things based on who's in power and, and who's letting this stuff just kind of sit out there and hope that it goes away? And then your perspective is, you know, look how, how God can move because someone who should have seen that this wouldn't be helpful released it. And let's not pretend like God doesn't use people's foolishness against them in examples throughout history (laughs) (laughs) to to bring justice to light. So I think having the three perspectives is what you can do. And, you know, a lot of uh, white people do sit back and think, well, what, what is it that I can do? And I've, I've seen a lot of people on social media make comments uh, make very heartfelt comments, make very insightful comments, but they're still, but those are people who I know have been active in the role that they can play. And they've been asking that, what can I do question for a long time? And I've been asking that question for a long time and I still don't know a hundred percent, but to, to the white folks that are listening to this, <laughs> I can give you at least a little bit of insight because for the the past several years, I've really been asking that question. And first and foremost, you need to listen. You need to listen to people who have different perspectives than you. You need to listen to people who have different backgrounds, who are diverse, who have been through different experiences than you have, whose worldview is different than yours. And you need to gain perspective and gain knowledge from those people. And through that, you will gain empathy. And through empathy, it will open your eyes to the stuff that's going on. And when your eyes are open to the stuff that is going on, you will gain knowledge because you will now be sensitive to it. You will spend more time reading it. You will spend more time analyzing it, going through it. And then that knowledge can slowly develop and turn into wisdom. And now you are in a place where you can actually share with people, okay, what is it that you can do? And some of the things that you can do are prepare yourself. If you really want change, then be prepared to answer hard questions. Be prepared to have difficult talks. And be prepared when people are coming at you who you feel need to be informed or educated on a certain topic so that anytime they ask a question that is kind of one of those cliched questions that's really a statement, (laughs) you have the ability to... Uh, defend it and then go ahead and and flip it on its head and get people to think. And the only way you can do that is if you're you're really listening and learning first. You have to get your education first, right? You don't start practicing medicine until you go to med school. <laughs> and so you have to be patient. You can't just do something right away. Um, the second thing you can do is through this through this information, through this knowledge, and through being informed is you can vote. And I'm not talking just about uh, national elections. I'm talking about local elections. You know, there you can vote for sheriffs. You can vote for city council. You can vote for people who will make a change in your community. And you need to be aware of what platforms they're running on. Because the biggest problem that we have going right now and where the change needs to come is the people at the top who have the power to either go ahead and arrest these gentlemen or not are people that you have direct control over voting into or out of the office. And you need to start holding those people accountable. The people who allowed these guys to kind of just get away for two months scot-free are the people that need to have their feet held to the fire. The people that 
allowed the corruption to reign and allowed the integrity to just be dismissed and allow the truth to, to be stored in the dark are the people that you have to come after. Um, because until people no longer feel that they will have uh, some sort of a safety net, I mean, what on earth were these two people thinking? Three people, because there was a guy filming too. Let's not forget, he was also armed. What empowered these people to think in their right mind? You know what I can do? I can arm up. I can drive my car into the road. I can uh, stop somebody. I can get out and I can confront them. Under what authority? Under what empowerment? Even if you are a former police officer, you're not a police officer now. And, you're, and your son's not a police officer. What the heck are you bringing him involved for? Like, there's, a, there's something that's empowering people to make these types of decisions. And a lot of it has to do with they think that the people who are in authority will protect them. And the rhetoric that's going on from some of the most powerful leaders in our nation is causing them to feel emboldened. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. Um, to the first part you were saying, that's what I've been telling all, all my friends. Uh, just keep asking, keep learning, keep loving. You know, just I tried to, to deuce it down to six words because if not, I already talked too much anyway. Um, so there's that. Uh, but so, Amen. Shut up. <laughs> After I just went for like 10 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> hey, peoples, it's Marquise from Marquise and the Mobin. And I want you to go to your digital outlet and check out our new single, Mighty to Save. It's our high energy take on one of our favorite anthems of faith. So go add it to your workout, rock out, chill out playlist on any streaming service. That's Mighty to Save by Marquise and the Mobin. To the second point, though, um, you know, I, I really hate to, to do this, but I guess I have to offer the history lesson uh, because somebody listening probably is not aware of things like this. Um, people forget that the civil rights movement uh, was not birthed just because Martin Luther King had a dream. Uh, the, the I Have a Dream speech actually came much later on uh, than people would actually realize. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, it wasn't even birthed in the, the story that's told about Rosa Parks. And we know that Rosa Parks' situation, refusing to go to the back of the bus, was really what stemmed the beginning of what was the civil rights movement. Uh, people forget that the civil rights movement was birthed off of a statement that Rosa Parks made concerning another event that happened prior to, where she said that in the moment that she was asked to get up and move, she remembered the face of Emmett Till and knew that she could not. There was no way that she could get up. And so for those who really need that history lesson, Emmett Till was a young boy, 13 years old, was lied on basically and said, uh, somebody said that he looked at or, or haggled or, or hassled or tried to do something with a white woman. Um, and the, I don't even think it was uh, law enforcement. And I think that's why this hit so heavy for me. Um, it may not have been law enforcement, but somebody took it upon themselves to think that the disciplinary action for this young man looking at a white woman of looking in her, her direction, which I think he might have even done it from right, um, would be to string him up on the back of a vehicle and just drag him down the street to his ultimate death. And so, you know, there is nothing new, unfortunately, about the situation concerning Amaya Arbery. Um, 
this is something that has been a mindset, has manifested itself for decades, centuries, and in some cases, millennia, but we'll stick with centuries. Um, because even before that, you also had the lynching period. The lynching period was the late 1800s to the early 1940s. And this is the thing that gets me the most about that part. The lynching period has a very heavy connection with the early in uh, the early church in, in the United States from the end of the 1800s on. People forget that um, you, you would see random pictures of people uh, taken outside of churches smiling with a couple of uh, Negro African-American individuals uh, hanging from a tree right next to them. And they're just having a good old-fashioned good time. Um, churches actually influenced and enforced these thoughts among their people. And so I don't understand why this is such a shock, except to say that, unfortunately, um, A, either a lot of people don't know their history, or B, uh, unfortunately, their history is shrouded in the pages of history books that don't give you the full story. And I think that ultimately what we are dealing with today is the fact that a lot of people have just turned the page on a book that they've never read before. And so because it's so new, I think that is what we are facing at this current particular point in time. Now, um, I'm not trying to say that people ain't up on things, that they need to be woke, because to be perfectly honest with you, there's a lot of stuff I'm sure I don't know. Um, about a lot of different things. So I'm not going to sit up here and say that, you know, I'm, 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 an, I'm a know-it-all and be all expert in, in something like this. But what I am saying is maybe, just maybe, um, this this quarantine, this, uh, as my sister calls it, national punishment that we're on, um, has actually been an opportunity to do a few things. Number one, recognize, like we said before, that guys is pretty much hitting the reset button. And in that, you know, we can kind of configure a lot of different things so we can draw closer to him. But two, I got to be honest with you. I, I feel like if everybody was not home to witness this the way that they witnessed this, I don't know. It would still be a big thing, but I don't know if it would have been as big in the worlds of certain people. And if I'm being honest with you, certain white people, um, because they would have been busy doing whatever the heck they would have been doing besides being at home. Yeah. I don't know if this would even be the kind of conversation that it is right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's where I think, uh, Swain, you said it perfectly. I think Romans 8.28 is personified in all this. All things work for the good of those who believe and called according to their purpose. This is horrible, but it may just be the thing that people needed to see that they would not have had a chance to see without this quarantine I think a lot of different things probably wouldn't be happening, but I think this specifically um, would not have had the the impact, the intensity, and then ultimately the ramifications that it did. Uh, not without maybe another, I don't know, Michael Brown type of situation or something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I just want to add a, a little bit of context to the Emmett Till story because Something that uh, I know I've been guilty of and probably many white people are guilty of Yes, is we, we shut down a little bit when we're trying to be given a history lesson. Because when we're told that, we're thinking, yeah, it, it's history. Like the civil rights movement, racism, slavery, that's history. 
Like the Emancipation Proclamation ended all that. Like, why are we going don't, back don't that far? Don't do that. Don't do it. No, I know. But this this is why I'm doing I'm giving you the perspective that I know a lot of people have. No, I'm just saying I'm going to tell everybody about emancipation if you keep talking about it. And I think that's going to make it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not make this a longer history lesson. But, but what I want to say to try to add a little context, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read what this says about Amit Till because it's, uh, it's, it's tough to stomach. He was a 14-year-old African-American who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955. 1955. That is 65 years ago. That means that if you have a parent or a grandparent, it was, they were alive. That's one generation removed from you, at most two. That's how close this is in proximity to our timeline. So to say it's history is not really fair. We're talking one generation. And it says in Mississippi in 1955, after being accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store. All right, so let's think about that. This is 65 years ago. A 14-year-old offended a white woman. He was then brutally murdered. Uh, The killers were acquitted. It drew a Tension to a long history of violence and persecution of African-Americans and post-harmoniously, he became an icon of the movement. So, I mean, 14-year-olds are stupid. Like, we, we all know that. <laughs> we all know middle schoolers are a pain. We all know they're rude. We all know that they're, they talk back. Um, imagine if a 14-year-old said something snarky to somebody in a grocery store and lost his life because of it. That happened 65 years ago. That is not ancient history, right. guys. That's, that's your parents were alive, your grandparents were alive, okay? That is not that far ago. So people just need to remember that when we talk about history, it's to educate. It's, it's not to demean or place blame or, or set responsibility, but it's for you to understand that this is a lot closer in the timeline of our own lives than we typically give it credit. I yeah. think to add to that, you know, not all African-Americans do this, but I think sometimes because of what's going on or things that have happened, sometimes people can um, try to put all white people in the same category. And I think that's maybe why sometimes two white people get a little bit shut off or defensive because not all white people are see it in that way, you know? So I think African-Americans too have to be sensitive to know that there are white people out there that are for you, that are fighting for you, um, who understand, who want to listen. Um, So again, it just circles back to everybody kind of having that open mind and perspective of like, there are, not everyone is like that. Not everyone views that that way. You know, everybody has their um, own perspective. So I think, yeah, to add to that, you know, I think African-Americans have to be sensitive to, to, you know, the white perspective and those people who do want to help, you know, see change and help change. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I feel like um, one of the things that kind of gets me through all this uh, and, you know, no, no, uh, no shameless plug, but shameless plug. Um, I did a series at the beginning of this called Forgiveness University. Uh, you might want to go back and check it out. It's horrible, to be perfectly honest with you, but but the content is good. <laughs> uh, you know, no, but I, I think that that's exactly what this is about um, from that perspective. And let me be an encourager with you on that one. 
uh, because I know a lot of black folks. And it's funny because I'm, uh, you know, I'm getting back into the Twitter sphere. We've, we've had this conversation. Um, and I've had a chance to look at some amazing Twitter folk. Um, and even, you know, there's a, there's, there's Christian Twitter, uh, there, there's black Twitter, there's sports Twitter, uh, there's, <laughs> there's Christian black Twitter. Now that one, that one's interesting to me. Um, and I, I follow a lot of people in it and I really love them. Uh, but sometimes they, they are just as closed minded. Here we go. There's the email. Um, as, <laughs> uh, as, as some of these white folks that we're having these conversations with. Um, and it's because of that, like they have the ideal school of thought in their mind. They've come up in the environment where um, God loves everybody, red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in his sight. However, we still got to deal with these reparations and this 40 acres and a mule conversation needs to happen. Um, and, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, there's a point where they are 100 percent right. Um, but in their approach for some of them, they are 200 percent wrong. And, you know, it's amazing to me uh, because I think that one of the reasons that the gaps cannot be bridged, that there is such a chasm between Christians, we're going to have this real conversation, uh, white and black or Hispanic or Asian, whatever the case may be. The reason why so many gaps cannot be bridged, that we have the chasms that we do is because people love to stay in their own sphere. And the problem with that is, in any type of theological context, Jesus never told everybody to stay where they are. You know, uh, the call for the creation of the actual church and the beginnings of the church, the beginnings of Christianity, uh, it called for Jews and Gentiles. It called for those who were God's chosen people and everybody else. You know what I'm saying? And it didn't matter who they were, what nation they were from. We were all supposed to come together. We were supposed to break bread. We were supposed to worship. We were supposed to do life together. And I'm sorry, but the dissection of American church culture and its many different broken forms. And, you know, we always joke around about it. It's the difference between like Hillsong and Ty Tribute. You know what I'm saying? Like it's all. And, and the funny thing is, I know so many people who love both of them, but you're never going to hear both played in the same church. At the same time, you know, not, le- not unless it's an item. And yeah, I just, I, I made a, a slight stab at, at, at us, but I love us. So I can say that, um, <laughs> you know, but I'm, but I'm serious though. That's the problem. We are not willing to step out of our culture and immerse ourselves in somebody else's culture for a complete and full understanding of why they think the way they think, what they've experienced, what they've been through. And, you know, the funny thing is I see God blessing that more than anything else in the Bible. So why would we not move in that direction? Um, but I mean, I, I think also um, what what everybody's saying right now, uh, it can kind of, I don't know, it, it can kind of, it can couch itself in, a, in, in this one school of thought. Um, you know, Jesus died on the cross for each and every one of us individuals no matter who we are. And I think, you know, I love our spectrum here. Um, You know, you got your black, you got your white, you got your mixed. Hopefully we'll get a Hispanic one day Um, because I love roundtabling and getting all of these different thoughts. But if we can be perfectly honest, one of the reasons why conversations like this is so difficult among Christians um, who all love the same Jesus and say that they love everybody else is because um, 
we avoid the Christocentrism and what it means to be a Christian. And instead of going from the worldview or from the lens of Christ, we go from the worldview or the lens where we came from, because that is what we are most comfortable with. And even if we do love everybody, and we can still love everybody, um, our way to display that is hindered. Um, it's handicapped. Uh, it's dispositioned. And there's some type of dissonance that is created because if they don't come to us and learn how to communicate our way, if they don't learn our dialect, if they don't, you, you're picking up on what I'm putting down, um, then we don't see a need in engaging in conversation with them. And if you don't believe yeah. me, sit back, relax, and wait. Because the state of our nation is going to shift in the next 10 to 15 years. And I bet a vast majority of our churches may not just be speaking English. Yeah, Ooh. it's true. I mean, we know the demographics and where they're headed. And I think right now, one of the biggest problems America has, it's a strength, but it's also its biggest weakness. And, and that's the desire for competition and to be competitive. Right now, we have so much deep-seated ideology and our system is so broken down to side A or side B. And we get very locked in and we feel like if we engage with the other side or change our mind, then we're a flip-flopper or we're disloyal or we don't have any convictions. And we very much have winners and losers. And the problem with that is that once you decide that you want to win or you want to be the winner, regardless of what it is, that means there must be a loser. These situations, these conversations, these events that are happening, these aren't, these aren't competitive games. These are not things that demand winners and losers. Christ never talked about, I'm coming to save all the winners. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was if you pick me, you're on the winning team. It was none of that. It was none of that. It was about togetherness. It was about breaking down the ideologies. It was about breaking down the people who were picking their sides. And if you don't think they were picking sides back then, you need to reread the, the New Testament because there are multiple sides and all of them are playing the same game of winners and losers. And Christ came to say, we need to quit playing these kinds of games. <laughs> and we're going through that right now. And it's happening between family members and friends and coworkers and people in different churches. And what's interesting is that a lot of times we're willing to maybe dip our toe in, in the other pool if it's something safe. Jordan brought up music, you know, uh, People might be willing to listen to other music and people are willing to go, well, I love all music. And just because I don't like hip hop, I can appreciate that, you know, th that there's artists performing art and people appreciate that. Just because I don't like country, I can, well, it's harder to appreciate, but yeah. I can appreciate that. Uh, yeah. But people are willing for things that, that don't really cost them. They're willing to seed the point or they're willing to view somebody else's perspective. I know for a long time, I was judgmental of the things that people listened to or the things that people liked. Or at the end of the day, who cares if, if it makes people happy? But those are things that don't cost you anything. The things that cost us something, the last thing we should be looking for is who's going to win and who's going to lose. Yeah. And we've been doing that way too much with these situations. It's not about winners and losers. 
you know, we all need to take the time to learn a little bit more, spend a little bit more time and put ourselves out there on, on things that are actually going to cost us something. <laughs> yeah. Swang, I'm curious. Um, in your family dealings, like what, uh, I know you said that they didn't really give you side to side on, on, on things. They just tells you love. Um, but without putting your people on front street, what has your experience really been like concerning matters of race though? And have they ever addressed stuff like this? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, my dad was discriminated against because he was married to a black woman. He got fired from his job for being a nigga lover. So, I mean, that was something that was, like, if I'm being really honest right now, you know, that was something that was told to us. And so, you know, there have been instances of that within my family. Um, I personally haven't had like an instance of like, you know, feeling like I'm being, um, I guess racism per se. I don't know how to put it, but, um, but I have felt, I think a lot of it has to do with me being a woman, one, me being young, but also being African American. So I have all those three things like, against me and so sometimes I'm like okay is it because I'm black or why well, look just black you know um or is it because like I'm a woman is it because I'm young so I have all these different things so sometimes for me personally it's hard to determine like okay what is this um but it's definitely become more real to me as I've gotten older um so I've heard the experiences, some of the experiences, I'm sure there's more that like my parents have just have not shared with us, you know, um, but just that one instance of like, wow, my parents have had to deal with stuff like that because they are um, in an interracial marriage. Um, and then as I get older, just having my eyes more wide open to, you know, the racial aspect of it. Um, I mean, even when I was um, you know, going to getting ready to go to college and I was doing college applications, you know, like just the advantages and disadvantages like for African-Americans and whites when you're doing your, your college application, you know? So, um, so yeah, you just think about those things. And like, when you're younger, you don't think about those things, but as you, as I continue to get older, I'm like, man, those things really do like play a part. And, you know, there are things that I really have to think about and consider, um, you know, and fortunately for me, you know, I work for my dad, so I don't have that issue in the workforce, you know? <laughs> like, See, they don't hate you because you're black, a woman or young. They hate you because of the nepotism. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny you bring up youth and we are protected being young for a, for quite a long time, you know, from our parents, from our understanding of society. And th this one happening in the midst of, you know, my oldest who's six is, is becoming just more aware of news or things. And, you know, I didn't show him this and I still very much try to protect him from the violence of the world. And even though we want, we want truth and, you know, I had uh, made a comment. We were out. We had walked uh, the the two point two three miles uh, as a family, 
And I, I looked down at the watch and I, I stopped it and I, I said, oh, look at that. We hit the 2.23. And uh, my son, Tyrus, says, well, what did we do that for? And I said, well, we were walking for, you know, a gentleman who suffered an injustice and unfortunately lost, lost his life. And he's like, well, how did that happen? And uh, my, <laughs> my, my, my wife in her wisdom said, well, there were uh, two white cars on the road and one black car and they had a car accident and the black car was totaled. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like that I, would, I wouldn't have been able to kind of compartmentalize it quite that way. And, uh, and he's like, oh, okay. And so it was, it was like this little way of kind of wisely explaining that there was some sort of a difference. There was uh, some sort of an event that ended tragically, but without the full weight of just, you know, how messed up the world is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, and the two, the two evil white cars, they were like, now I can, <laughs> yeah. sorry, I, I can, I can watch the movie cars right now. <laughs> I know. Mater. Lightning McQueen. Yeah, yeah. Mater takes on a totally different context right now. <laughs> Mater. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was there. It was there. My bad. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Mater is a pretty messed up stereotype in its own way. It is. It is. That's why I went there. I'm <laughs> just going to add one more thing because it made me think about and I just wanted to share. Um, because I didn't know for a long time, actually, that what had happened to my dad and um, with him being discriminated against is actually what birthed him wanting to become an attorney um, because he wanted to go into um, discrimination law. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, like, it's just amazing to see how God worked <laughs> through all of that because that situation birthed what he wanted to do in his career. And now God has blessed him tremendously um, in his career and, you know, with what has happened in his life. And so, I don't know, again, I just see the goodness of God in it, um, that even though that was not an ideal situation or that anybody thought that would happen or that we would have to walk through, um, but they walked through it and they kept God at the center and there's been so much blessing on the other side of it. So I just wanted to share that perspective because again, like we can get so focused on, obviously we have to talk about it. We have to bring it to light, but just to remember to like, try to see the goodness through those situations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I had the opportunity to meet with your dad for a couple of hours and uh, just, you know, learn about his history and his upbringing and what he's been through. And it's, he's got a pretty cool story. Yeah. So maybe we have to have him on here one day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He's got a lot to share for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like yeah. we have him, we have to have India up here too. There's, oh, there's, nice. there's no way to, yeah, that, that's gotta happen. <laughs> that's They're complete opposites. So it'd be a I was going to say, it might, it might be like a four-parter too, <laughs> because I'm pretty sure that uh, I met with your dad. It was for like three hours. Like, it was a long time. <laughs> but it was it was it was fun. Yeah. Like they're, they're they're another from hood to good story. I I, I definitely appreciated that. Uh -huh. I was like, you know, I I I will never look at Indiana the same way again. No, I won't. No. Well, actually, crazy story. There is another crazy story. So apparently, when my parents were dating, they my dad is from a little town in Rochester. And so <laughs> my mom was going to visit him. They were in the car and apparently they saw the Ku Klux Klan 
walking across and my dad is like, my mom's like, I got to get down. And my dad's like, no, kiss me right now in front of them. And she's like, you're crazy. Like he was joking. But she had to literally get down in his car so that way they wouldn't see her. So some crazy things have happened. So crazy. That was many, many years ago. Like I wasn't even born yet. It was back in the 1990s. But all the oh, the nineteen ninety all the way back in the nineties. See, once again, let's go with a history lesson, folks. That was a short time ago. The clan was walking the streets. Okay, you're fired. I was in high school all the way back in those nineteen nineties. Oh my gosh. Okay, that is fairly recent. What I actually think about it. But maybe it was in the 80s. I don't know. I just know it was before I was born, and I was born in 1996. So crazy times, crazy times, because I would have freaked out if I saw a Ku Klux Klan. Just saying. Yeah. yeah. I, I would freak out if I saw the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, crazy. Well, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll throw a flag on the play. We'll go back to it later. <laughs> yeah, maybe but, cut that one out, but... No, I think that's there's a lot of ways I could have gone with that story too. <laughs> yeah. If I was like helping write for Chappelle show, like there's a couple of things I could have gone with, but I chose to, stuff for real. To, yeah. to not do it. So. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, man. Listen, I get, uh, I'll, I'll say this much um, because, you know, now that I'm listening to Swangle, she's got me all kinds of convicted um, because you know, I wasn't always seeing the God in it because I'm black and I'm mad. Now you know how I feel. Every time I bring something up, you're like, Devin, you should love people. And, you know, now you know how I feel. Oh, good. Cool. Cool. So <laughs> well, and also, like, to bring out. up another point, like, and this is just a side note, like, I think that's why sometimes I feel so strongly, too, about, like, Black people killing Black people. Like, you already have the odds against you with the racism of whites, Asians, whatever, whoever against you. So stop killing your own people. I mean, this is the white side of you coming out. Very, very much. Oh my goodness. Oh, I'm wow. though, because, you know, I think like sometimes again, we're so like, Oh, white people are killing us. No, black people are killing black people too. And I think it's time for us as the African-American community to lift each other up, to rally together. You know, like my Nana was telling me a story the other day. I don't know all the details, but, I think it was at a Dollar Tree. I can't remember what state it was in, but um, this lady went to the Dollar Tree and I guess she got into it with a security guard. The security guard was black. She came back home. She must have told her, I think it was her either boyfriend or husband. Um, and he went back up to the Dollar Tree and shot and killed the security guard. And it was a black guy and a, and a black guy. And so I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know? So those things are also frustrating. And I think that those are real conversations we have to have too. Of like, hey, we all have to stand together. Whether you're white, black, Asian, Mexican, it doesn't matter. Like, let's all stand together, encourage each other, not out here killing each other, you know? Yeah. Same race, different race. So yeah, call on my white side if you want to, but just oh, we will. <laughs> it's already it's already been done. half of you is so racist. Yeah, yeah. Cra- I know. Just good God, you, the other half you need to get you in check, homie. Yeah, no, the other half just sounded like like Bill Cosby rants uh, back in the in the all the way back in the nineties. No, oh, can't, can't wow. use that. Stop it. I can if I'm referring to the past. I don't know 
know if no, I like being that, compared I don't know, because remember, that's it all happened. He hasn't, he hasn't aged well. Hey, you know what? To be perfectly honest, Wayne, like that, that almost sounds like it's, it's going to be another conversation in itself because there is a lot of psychology rooted in why blacks kill blacks. And that also kind of has something to, not kind of, has something to do with whites as well. Um, my, my hope and prayer is that one day I can get Dominique Gilliard up in here. I'm still speaking at in Jesus' name um, because this book, Rethinking Incarceration, has more than incarceration in it. Uh, and it really does have an understanding of since the 1970s how um, they have tried to deface the, the, the identity and the integrity of the Black man and the Black family. Um, and a lot of that ends up leading into uh, things that manifest in Black-on-Black crime and things of that nature. For my white friends listening, Jordan <laughs> might have made it sound like he blamed even black people killing black people on, on white, white people. people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just want you to know that was not his intention. He He's talking about some, some deep-seated psychological things and how society has transformed. <laughs> he is not saying that also when black <laughs> black on black crime happens, it is the white man's fault. That's not what he's saying. I just want to... I just want to clarify I didn't that. Use, I didn't use, like, my, my pro-black voice. No, but you pretty much said, you know, <laughs> you pretty much said it, though. Kind of you know did come across that way. <laughs> Listen, about 90% of me is offended, and I know 50% of hers offended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just saying, man, you know, just, just blame everything on the white man. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Amen. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, no. Some of that is definitely still black. So, yeah. The, come on, man. Oh, yeah. The, the the race conversation. Let's have that another time. I know this has a lot to do with it, but let's just. Oh, Jesus. I know. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to birth a whole nother topic. No, you did. Topic, you did. It's okay. But it's I okay. just wanted to lay that on the table. I had to. Put yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who would have who would have thought that me bringing up Bill Cosby would not have been the most controversial take in the last ten minutes? Yeah. <laughs> well, I I did say I don't know how I feel about you comparing me to Bill Cosby. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What's uh What's that in the background swing? You got? What's uh? Oh, those are basketballs. Okay. Yeah, good. I thought my, it was like my uh, basketball throwback pick. Some kind of medication or something. With me and my white friend, my white best friend. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> I'm so glad you got your white best friend. Yeah, but then you got then you got Gigi too, though. So now you've got I a little do. dash of Puerto Rican spice. So your whole world is just well rounded. Now you need oh, yeah. somebody. Who's, I'm a diverse person. You, know? you need somebody who's Black super friends, dark white though. Friends, Mexicans, all mm. of the. Do you, have, do you have somebody who's super dark though to complete your uh, your spectrum of friendship? I do. Actually, okay, then you're I have good. I have a couple. I have a couple. Ooh. Okay. Cool. Okay. Very good. You're locked in now. I'm yeah. locked in. <laughs> <laughs> this is all just going to be an exercise. It's a scope on your life. That's what this episode is. I know. <laughs> See, if you do it right, like one of my best friends, he calls himself North Japarican because he's Puerto Rican Japanese, but was born in, in America. So I I handled, you know, the Puerto Rican and the Asian with one friend. So, like, you can really make it efficient if you find that. That's good. So, I guess that makes me an even better friend. Yeah, because because people can be like, you know, my one black friend or, you know, oh. my one white friend. You're both. Exactly. Look <laughs> at the best of both worlds. <laughs> this just went in a direction. 
<laughs> yeah. I don't. It's like it's like having what is it? Uh, o negative or whatever. What's what's the blood type that just helps everybody? Yeah, that's it. It's o. <laughs> it's like, there you go. I think it is type O, right? It is. It's type O. It's type O. Yeah. See, you can just donate to everyone. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, well, this has been another black experience. <laughs> this has also been a white experience. This has been just black, white, another black experience. experience. Yeah, nonetheless, though. <laughs> yes. Um, Let's go to our ad for Janique Locks. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And I love <laughs> I miss, I miss her, I miss her so bad because guys, I do have y'all. Look, y'all can see this yeah. afro on my head right now. Just continue to keep me lifted up there because uh, I am hurting um, with the lack of of lockery and with the excess of afro on my head i just i'm, I'm in real pain <laughs> listen i'm about ready to go there it doesn't matter if they're You're open i'm lots, going bro. <laughs> i mean this this thing on my my head you know i was teasing my wife i said you know i can't get my phone to to recognize my face anymore i think it's because of my hair <laughs> i have to keep putting in my passcode <laughs> That's uh, okay. yeah oh, all that to say ladies and gentlemen we do pray and Justice for Ahmad, good God. See, this is what happens. I love my people, but we we act a slam fool. Um, and it's just in our human nature. So just pray for us. Thank you. Humor is a gift from God. It is, it very much is, and it's needed in times like these. Um, but yeah, we're definitely mm-hmm. believing for for swift justice. Um and uh also again, let this just be the beginning of conversations of reconciliation in your world. Uh, because, you know, as much as we're laughing right now, like, I, I, I heard, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I, I took off of social media for some days after this because I just, I couldn't cope. Um, and I love that that's been my social interaction with people. Like, I'm an ambivert, so not hugging people right now. Oh, I'm great. I'm in heaven. But I still love, like, interfacing and interacting with people, and I just, I couldn't do it. Um, so yeah, let this be the beginnings of a conversation. If you haven't had them and if you've been having them, uh, do what you can to take it to the next level. Um, you know, I just, I think that at the end of the day, what we all realize is, um, they will know we are Christians by our love, as it says in first John. Um, and you're busy trying to form an apologetic for why these guys maybe should not be getting off scot-free, but you're coming up with reasons why you can understand their stance in the situation. Um, maybe you're looking at the wrong thing. As a matter of fact, you're not, maybe you, you're just not looking at the right thing. Um, and I pray that you would just continue to look through the lens of Jesus and just recognize that if you love people, which is part of the two greatest commandments that he leaves us in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, uh, then something is not right in this and your heart should not be set on anything else other than his people being okay and doing whatever you can to play your part in ensuring that that happens. So uh, this has been the after school special moment of the podcast, uh, <laughs> but really take this seriously because this is what I dread um, six months, a year, two years down the road, uh, as we will still definitely be going strong. We come back and end up having the same conversation. I don't want to do it. I'm kind of sick and tired of it. And to be perfectly honest with you, uh, Lord willing, um, I will do whatever I can to make sure that it's eradicated. And I got two people in my world right here uh, who I'm glad stand with me in that process. Um, and thankfully, one of them continues to remind me that it's because of God's love 
Uh, and the other one, well, <laughs> corruption. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was I was really gonna I was gonna use the Kaepernick conversation, but I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nonetheless. Okay, well, this, this has been fun, and and just you know, we're we're glad to have you on, Sissy. Um, yeah, and look thank forward you so to much for having me, guys. I know I'm usually behind the scenes, but this was really fun. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I'm sure when we gave you the subject, you just couldn't wait to jump on. <laughs> <laughs> that that in the last dance. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, we were talking about doing a last dance podcast, which we will yeah. do. But that was the first thing, and then it's like, hey, why don't you come on for this instead? Yeah, It'll like, be so much fun. Yeah, like a part one <laughs> and a part two of the last dance. And I will neither confirm nor deny that we have wrong for the last dance because she is the one who has basketball expertise out of all three of us. Um, man, that that really hurts me. But uh, yeah, I, I even had to look away when I made that statement. All things basketball, man. All things basketball over yes, here. All things basketball. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. But uh, yeah. I well, ladies and gentlemen. Good God. Um, hopefully you had some laughs. Uh, maybe shed some tears. Uh, but we just pray this blesses you. Even if we just reach one person, it's all worth it. Uh, but yeah, I, I cannot stress it enough. Love God, love people, and recognize what those two statements mean. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I think we can shut it down right here. This is this uh, this has been good. Uh, thank you guys once again for rocking with us, uh, and of course, as always, be inspired to inspire because that is what the inspired one does. Uh, my name again is Jordan, and my name is Devin, and I'm Justice. I bet it felt good saying that, Danny girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You gonna pay for it? Uh, but yeah, thank y'all once again. And uh, please be safe. Wash them hands. We'll catch you next week. Love y'all. Peace. to I is a production of Inspired One Enterprises. Engineering by Devin Chandler. Editing and production, Jordan Brown. Marketing and media, Justice Swango. Thanks again for listening to the latest and greatest episode. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Inspired One Enterprises. On Instagram, at I underscore the number two underscore I podcast. And of course, please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave those five stars and a generous review because you love us and want us to be successful and great, just like we do you. And that's the main reason why we do this in the first place. Thank you once again for rocking with us. And remember to be inspired to inspire because that's what the inspired one does. Take care. Peace.